thankful for the way these stories hold on to the lifetime we won't get back. I know these rivers carry. Welcome to Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Jake Lamore, and today we are joined by, yet again, a guest who is known for many different things in the community. And depending on what you know her from, you may not know that she is involved uh, as a, a school board member, or you might not know that she's involved with a trucking company, or you might not know that she's involved in a super special nonprofit organization here in Kankakee County. I am pleased to welcome Jamie Freeland to the podcast. Thanks, Jake. Of course. It's great to have you here. Oh, it's such an honor to be a guest on your show. <laughs> I really love what you're doing and bringing together sort of a living history of our county. So oh, thank you. I think it's fabulous. Thank you. You're so sweet. I really appreciate that. Yeah, and I, I, I will go ahead and start off by saying I had I had you on my extensive list of guests, you know, especially more focused on Mateo's Joy, you know, um, yeah. your nonprofit organization that you run. And the... I feel like the person that kind of reminded me that I should do this sooner than later was Rob West. He had brought up your name and said, I honestly don't know anyone that has anything bad to say about Jamie. Nobody. <laughs> well, that's He's very like, kind. She's, she's the nicest person that I know. And he, he just said there's nobody that could say bad about Jamie. Well, so. Rob's a great guy, and he that's is. very sweet that he gave that recommend. So, <laughs> yeah, appreciate Rob. And you have your own podcast, too, How uh, w- tied in with Matea's Joy. I guess we can kind of get into that later. So, yeah, I think you're the first, like, other podcaster that's been on Kankakee Podcast. I don't know if any of the other guests have have podcasts currently besides you that I can think of. And I could be completely wrong. If I'm forgetting somebody, I apologize. (laughs) Obviously, Rob West is, I've had media people on, of course, like Rob and Mike Tamano, but not someone that is doing a, a podcast as well. So let's, as I always like to do with guests, let's start at the beginning. Where does your story begin? Where does life begin for Jamie Freeland? Uh, Sure. Well, I was born and raised in Kankakee County, and I... What part? I grew up in Bourbonnais. Okay. Yeah. And over the years, my husband and I, our first uh, home in the community together was in West Kankakee. But I have some pretty deep roots in the community. So my fourth great-grandfather came from Quebec to St. George. You too, and so huh? We just, you know, us, and we're probably all from the exact same ancestry. And um, and you're probably going to tell me, yeah, um, you know, I'm related to the Blanchette family somehow. Absolutely. My mom's a Blanchette. And so <sighs> See, we have my, some deep roots here. My, well, okay. So my grandmother was a Dumas and her mother was a Blanchette. 
so yeah, that's that's my connection well, to I'm the sure brand. Well, I'm sure we both can tie our roots back to Pierre Noel Blanchette in the St. George Cemetery where he was laid to rest. And then your on your father's side? So my maiden name is Sergeant, and my dad's family, he grew up in the Bonfield area. And Wait, so. is Carrie Nugent your yeah, that's Carrie, my your sister. Si- your sister. Yeah, no, we're I all can connected. See, I can see it now. <laughs> I see the resemblance. Uh, yeah, Carrie Nugent from Kankakee Community College. Yep. Well, Carrie's amazing. She is. I am really grateful to not only have her as a sister, but she's a dear friend. So you went to school in, in Bourbonnais? I did. Okay. I went actually to maternity BVM growing up. And I did a couple of years too. A Mac grad. and Okay. Yeah. So after high school, what did you what did you do? I went to the University of Illinois. Okay. I studied advertising and Spanish and did some study abroad during college. And my husband and I actually got married right out of college. And we lived in Champaign for a, a short period of time, a handful of years. And then we moved back to our community. I got a job based out of the city of Chicago. And he was still working in Champaign. And it just made sense to, we're like, well, that's about halfway. We'll just move back in our community. Yeah, so, yeah. that's great. So did you two meet in college? Then? No, we actually met in high school, but he went to BBCHS and we okay. met through friends. So we're high school sweethearts. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> I that know. That is so sweet. <laughs> little... I wish I had an aww <laughs> button. I wish I had that available right now. I have, yeah. to, I have to get that sound effect in here. Now, where does Matea's joy come into play? Yeah. Now, I, I know so many people have at least heard the name Matea's joy, but they may not know what it is. Absolutely. And I have to say, I have such an immense amount of gratitude for our community because they've rallied around a cause that is important to us over these years. And in so we had our third, our second child, our second daughter in 2009, and her name was Matea. And we knew before she was born that she had some health complications. And so when... How did... How did... What were, how did you know? Yeah. So we went in for the routine 20 week ultrasound, which anyone who's had a, a child knows that's sort of the I one remember. you're excited because you get to find out if it's a, the gender and. Or you um, say, nope, don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really, that ultrasound does a lot more than just identify gender. It makes sure all the organs and parts of your baby are developing properly. And they saw that specifically her lungs had some issue. They had some fluid and they weren't developing properly. So we were referred to University of Chicago Comer Children's Hospital. At that time, I went up to University of Chicago in their maternal fetal medicine department and received a lot of prenatal tests and diagnosis and tracking. And we did find out that she had Down syndrome prior to her delivery. And that was its own layer. It didn't add to her illnesses. It wasn't the cause of why she was medically fragile, but it was sort of, it shifted our perspective of. Because Down syndrome doesn't necessarily, does it, does it affect your, your physical health? Really, There are some things that are more common in children with Down syndrome. So one of them is our heart defects. So she did have a heart defect, a couple of them, but they're very repairable and okay. really healthy children. And so that was one contributing factor, but her lungs were the biggest issue. She had some fluid and it was starting to go into places in her body that it shouldn't. So when they really didn't think she would make it to full term. So we made the choice to have her delivered with her team of doctors. They made that choice with us to have be delivered at 32 weeks. And so she had a scheduled delivery at 32 weeks. And they gave us a very small percent 
of survival. I mean, they really didn't think she'd make it out of the delivery room. And so we went in delivering, feeling like it, we'd just be saying hello and goodbye. And she did survive for nine and a half months. We spent about seven of them at Comer Children's Hospital with her. And we had a really... We had a full gamut experience of what it's like to have a sick kiddo in the hospital. So we spent 13 weeks in the NICU, and she was improving and making some really great strides. She came home with, yes, some medical needs. She had she was on oxygen. She still received some of her nutrition through, they call it an NG tube. It goes down her nose to her, her belly. And we had medications. But in all intents and purposes, we really thought she was sort of on this projection of she might make it for the long haul. And that, But we knew it would be as she grew. So the best part about babies who are sick, if you're going to look at sort of the best part, is that they're still growing. So when an adult has issues with their lungs, you're never going to grow new lung tissue. But with no. a baby, you do. And so if she was getting bigger and we were trying to help her growth, we were hoping that her lungs could sort of do the job. And unfortunately, she didn't have a really great road. She ended up back in the pediatric intensive care unit that fall. She was Born in April and in 20 later that year, we had her home for a couple months in the summertime. And then she was back without a discharge. She passed away in January of 2010. She was in the PICU for another several weeks. And we came out of that experience. Our family is a really strong family of faith. So we felt like I am so grateful. I had a lot of peace at her passing. We had the ability to say goodbye to her. We could look back and really we met this incredible tapestry of people in her life. And we had this medical experience that we felt like for us, we didn't think we just went through it because it was this tragedy in our life. We felt like, hey, we got this like behind the curtain glimpse of what it's like to walk beside a child going through all these medical things. And we saw a need. There was this, not that anyone in the medical setting was doing anything wrong. They weren't. But there's this group of parents that it's a really lonely place to be. And it's a place that's very isolating because often someone doesn't have someone in their life that has gone through what they're going through. So they're, the people closest to them maybe can't be the ones supporting them in the way that you naturally would reach out to your best friend or your sister or your parent. And if they haven't had that shared experience, sometimes yeah, it's can't hard. Relate. So we just found ways. We started Matea's Joy. We put in the paperwork shortly after her passing with the the help of a good friend who's an attorney. She said, hey, I'll help you incorporate to be a nonprofit organization. And you send the papers into the state of Illinois, and you don't really know what day they're going to approve you. And it was approved on her first birthday. So we oh, became wow. a nonprofit on April 13th, 2010. We think that's not really an accident. <laughs> We're really grateful for that. And we started with bringing food up to Comer Children's Hospital. We brought, at first, it was just Gary, my husband, and I. We'd bring dinner up to the NICU and the PICU once a month and feed families. And yeah, a meal is super nice, but it was a reason to get families to come together. And if they want to talk to somebody, they could. We could talk to them, just listen and see how their day was. And it was lovely. How did, how did you come to that decision to have Matea be delivered instead mm. of saying, okay, you know, there's a good chance she's not going to survive or the doctors are telling us the odds. What made you decide to say, let's give it a shot? 
if I put myself back there in our brains, it was never, we had a medical team that was sort of saying, hey, we feel like there's a shot. So for us, it was like, okay, well, we're going to. It was like, why not? Because if you didn't, that would kind of haunt you if you didn't take that chance. I don't know. I've never really considered that. Yeah. For us, we just knew that was the choice we were making. And it was important to us to. To go all in. Yeah. To give her a chance at life. And so you you knew what you were up up against mm-hmm. at at that time when when she was delivered. What what were some of the other? Did they try to? I were I'm just from the one experience I have as a father. I remember towards the end of my son's development, um, his mother had to receive steroid shots because yeah. they wanted to further develop, develop lungs. his lungs. Mm-hmm. He, so uh, my son's mother had, I forget the exact term they call it, but she had high blood pressure. Yeah. I forget the- Preeclampsia. Thank you. And so the medication she was on, the effect on his body was he did not grow as as quickly Mm -hmm. as other children. It didn't, it wasn't like a huge thing, but you know, yeah. when he was delivered, he was very small, mm-hmm. you know, he's five pounds and seven ounces. Yeah, a little guy. So a little guy. <laughs> and that was because of the, like the, uh, the beta blocker or whatever type of high blood pressure medication she was on. Sure. So that's why towards the end of her pregnancy, she got a, a couple different rounds of steroids yeah. just to help further because the lungs were, if I remember correctly, are the, like the last thing or one of the last things mm-hmm. to develop in uh, during a pregnancy, right? Well, and if, you think about important factors of what we need for survival. And yeah. Breathing's pretty high up there. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. So in, in your case, what did they, what were some of those things you, you went through for Matea while she was still inside you? Did they do steroid yeah. treatments and things like that? We did steroid shots. We yeah. did a lot of just prenatal tracking, making mm-hmm. sure we still had life. She was moving. We um, tracked her heart defect prenatally. So we saw a cardiologist and they can do echocardiograms while you're pregnant on your child. And so I spent a lot of time in clinic for sure. So I know the route. My car can probably drive itself to (laughs) University of Chicago. So I bet. Yeah. You may as well just lived up there at that point. Super grateful that we have a facility like that so close to us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They're they're wonderful up there. You kind of referenced there being these gaps, quote mm-hmm. unquote. What was what were what were what are some of those gaps that that you experienced or saw? I know you kind of you kind of talked about that a little bit, yeah. But more in depth, just for people that have never been in this situation and hopefully, obviously, never become in that situation. But what are some of those things or or um, misunderstandings, sure. things that people don't understand in, the, in those situations. Yeah. And I'll speak a little bit because now that we've had the charity for 12 years, yeah, as we've served families over the years, it's interesting the things that maybe you don't think through. So we started providing to even the PICU social worker early on, just like ancillary things that families, they get admitted and they, it's being in the child with your hosp- in with your child in the hospital is never something anyone plans not typically unless it's a planned surgery or but even then it's not where they want to be so it's a very disruptive part of life and most individuals don't have a big experience there if families are emergently brought in they need things like cell phone chargers 
clothing, just the ability to be like, hey, I didn't even plan to be here, some basic life essentials. The idea of just the sheer amount of money it costs to be bedside with a kid, to make sure you have food every day, that you have the ability to have parking paid for, that you have the ability to have fuel to go back and forth, to manage children at home. There's a whole sort of tangle of challenges that come with a family that's sitting bedside with a kiddo. That's what I think of is the people that have other children and they're young. They can't take care of themselves, but you have to be at the, somebody has to be at the hospital because you got to make sure things are going the way they should be or just staying informed as much as possible. Well, and I was really grateful. We had a really supportive network of family and friends that we had a two-year-old at home and they helped us in that, that year, really. From diagnosis to her passing, it was exactly a year. And we had that year of just family and friends gathering around us. And the best help they created was for our daughter, Reese, at home, because one of us was, thankfully, because we worked for a family business and they're really helpful. I mean, I worked, but I worked bedside and I worked remotely and we could make it work. But I, I learned really quickly to not be judgmental of how many parents weren't there because life is hard. There are a lot of children sitting without a parent beside them at the hospital. And it could be if you're in the NICU and mama's had their babies, it is that balance of, well, if I want time for my maternity leave, when I my child gets discharged, I want to be able to have that time. And I couldn't judge that that was the choice they were making, because if I were in their shoes, I probably would have made the same choice. And they're being cared for by lovely nurses and medical team. And But it's interesting, the, the choices put before families in that situation. And just being lonely. I think it is a real reminding people that they've got this. You know, we've sort of created this tagline, joy in the journey. And we've realized and we try to help families acknowledge that just because your child is sick and things are really hard, it doesn't mean you can't be joyful in moments because. And so that's your main focus in Matea's joy is just, and, and that's something as you just said, you would not think of what, mm-hmm. enjoy in the journey. Why mm-hmm. would I want to enjoy this? But it's probably in my sense, the reason why you say that is because you have to find joy in, in every moment, yeah. whether it's a big or small moment, a happy or sad moment, you mm-hmm. have to find, because that is what it's, what's going to keep you, you, keep you going Yes, necessarily. Right. And, and in your experience, what are some of those moments you think of uh, during Matea's time, what are some of those moments of joy that you remember and hold on to and you'll never forget, even though it was not a great thing? No one should ever, no one should ever go through that, but there was some, some greatness, some joy to come out of it. Absolutely. And if I look back, I mean, I choose to celebrate these like beautiful moments we had. We had milestones with her along the way. They may have looked different because she was a NICU baby, but we didn't get, you know, most babies are born. They get their bath that same day in the nursery. Yes. That's not an experience for a NICU family. So the day that you do get to have a bath is a big deal. The day they get to drink for the first time from a bottle, the day that... When did she get to have her first bath? It was several weeks after she was born. And so she was very medically fragile when she was born and she was in an isolate. And so 
there's it's hard. Their their systems haven't finished developing. So you have to minimize how much stimulation that includes noise and touch and, you know, all sorts of factors. And so it's interesting. It's a different sort of trajectory of what is normal. And it's often related to the roller coaster of the NICU. There's lots of ups and downs because their systems are still regulating and there's lots of factors that go into that. And when I talk to families now that are walking through it and some of the messaging we try to give them is trying to be rooted in gratitude, trying to find something in the day, hey, that you can be grateful for. And yeah, sometimes it's okay to just say it was a really crappy day. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) um, You don't want to fake. Nope. It's not this fake joy or this fake, but sometimes parents feel guilty because they can celebrate something while their child is so sick. And, but we can't go through life consistently not celebrating those moments. I'm so grateful. We took time to take photos and enjoy different staff members. We had this lovely, um, it was the, the, the staff member who came and tidied our room every day. And she came in, we were in the PICU. It was toward the end of Matea's life. It was, so she passed in late January and it was Christmas time. And she brought us a Christmas tree from Walgreens. It was in the bag and it was this little thing with ornaments. And that was so joyful. And I had gotten to know her. She came in every day and we talked and people you don't expect to connect with that are part of your journey. And in some regards, she was concerned about my daughter. She asked about her every day. And we still put that Christmas tree in our house every year for Christmas. And it looks a little sad now. I'm sure people that don't know about the Christmas tree are like, what's up with that what, Christmas yeah, tree? Yeah, what's going on um, there? But those are things we choose to remember and focus on. And yeah, there are hard bits too. But, you know, I've shared a lot in our work. I think when things are the darkest, it makes you appreciate the light the most. And so you just find those little glimmers of light along the way. And you're like, hey, okay, we're going to hold on to that. We're going to journal about it. We're going to make sure we remember these moments because you're going to want to look back on them. Yeah, it's the smaller things and the darkest of moments make the biggest difference. Even if it's something as simple as getting a little Christmas tree from Walgreens. Yep. Someone's listening to this thinking, well, that's nothing special. Well, in that moment, it, it, was. it was very special. It was super significant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Someone's is, is doing, going out of their way just to do the best they can with what is currently yeah. available at their fingertips. Yep. They couldn't go to whatever fancy store to get a nice Christmas tree or whatever. Yep. There was a Walgreens maybe down the corner yep. and they saw, hey, there's a Christmas, a little Christmas tree there. I'm going to go buy that yeah. and make someone stay. Now, when you, when Mateo was alive, did you, when did you come up with the idea for Mateo's Joy? Was it right at her passing or was, mm. was it early on? You were like, I want to do something for. Well, we had a benefit that our friends and family did for Mateo while she was still living um, later in her life. And we sold the proceeds from that benefit, and we were grateful enough to have some excellent insurance and whatnot. We didn't have as many financial needs as we thought we may at the at the end of her care. And we felt like, hey, well, we have some of these funds from the benefit, and we have a desire to give back to families 
and it sort of just went together. So that we really came up with Matea's Joy after she passed, and her name was Matea Joy Friedland. So it okay. really is named after her. Oh, that's and sweet. it just kind of fell into place, to be honest. It wasn't, we didn't overthink it. Like I said, we started pretty small. It was over time that we said, hey, like we might have more here. We kept seeing more that we could do an impact. And we had a, a lovely group of individuals over the years that have become our board, mostly made up of families who have been there, done that. And they have a desire to give back too. And they really helped the work move forward with us. And our community has been incredible. I said it at the beginning, but most of our fundraising work we've done here in Kankakee County and our community is so incredibly generous and they really help us to just in, increase the work we can do. Today, I'm dropping off items at Carl Hospital in Champaign-Urbana, and we it's the first time we're doing work with them, and we're kind of outfitting a parent lounge on that helps serve their pediatric floor, and we're always growing and expanding and improving, and it's cool. Yeah, that's wonder, wonderful to hear that. It's continue, Matea's joy is continuing to grow yeah. over time. What is some advice you have for parents that get into these situations with their children? What is what is something that you always make sure to, to pass down to them if they're ever in this situation? Or maybe they're currently in this situation and their child is, is in a life-threatening place. Yeah. Um, I alluded to it earlier, but whether they end up in that place for a couple of days or several months or years, it is not what they planned. And I will say that it's okay to take it day by day. Um, there are sort of three things I encourage everyone to focus on, and we try to integrate it into a lot of our work, but really is this gratitude idea. And as you said earlier, and it's true, you don't fake it. You just find your own way to sort of say, okay, what can I be grateful in this moment and not look too far ahead? I think some of us can get paralyzed by our brain likes to just create stories. It's a natural sort of tool of our brains. We love, I am <sighs> so good at fantasizing yes. things. And, and if, it gets me in trouble if I, if I focus on that. So I think gratitude keeps us grounded in the present. So the more you can stay present, it really will help you because you're going to emotionally feel all these things in the future if you let yourself fantasize what the road looks like too much. And that's the thing. In your experience with Matea, were you, was that what you were doing or were you envisioning, oh, she's going to make it out of this? I mean, what? I think we were always yourself? hopeful, but we uh -huh. had a very realistic hopefulness. I think okay. even toward the end, maybe some of our family felt like we didn't see the writing on the wall, mm -hmm. but we did. We were just choosing to be very present. And I had a lot of lovely conversations, especially with physicians, about, okay, what really is our outlook? And um, I'm grateful I had the ability and wherewithal to have those conversations. Not every family is outfitted or has the emotional ability to do that in the moment. And so reach out, I would say, and ask family members that you trust to be kind of beside you in it and help keep you grounded. The element of self-care, we I've talked about this with several guests on our yeah, show. How do you take care of yourself in these Some moments? of it just means get up. Like for me, I just made sure at the hospital I was getting up. I took a shower every day. For me, I wanted to be a part of rounds. Not every family wants to be. But finding sort of a groove in it of what works for you. And it another element that really helps individuals in these circumstances, and it may seem like 
how dare you ask them to do that? But find a way to serve. And it may not be, oh, I'm going to a soup kitchen and serving. It might be thinking about who else in your life might need a text, might need a quick phone call from you if you have a minute. It really will ground you and bring more joy if you're also aware of everyone that is around you in your life, too, and not get so fixated on what you're kind of maybe mucked up in for the minute. Giving, right, giving, even if it's just a, a positive, hey, uh, or a hello text to a friend yes. that you know, maybe they just lost their job or something. Yeah. And you're like, hey, thinking of you today, yeah. I want you to know you're going to make, you're going to get through this. Yeah. And I would say on the the flip side, those that are in someone's life, family and friends, um, try to drop as much judgment as you can about how they're managing it. Because like even I know some some good friends that have walked NICU journeys and they've like their nurses and and care team at the hospital even encourage them go out for a nice dinner like go out and, and you know just it's have okay. a moment it's but okay it, to it do that. feels challenging when you're in the position to go do it and because, other people are like your child's in the hospital right, your what child's are you in doing the hospital why, right why are, why are you at this fancy dinner <laughs> yes. in downtown chicago yeah. what what is wrong with you yes you um, shouldn't be living yeah. at all you Give should them just permission be in, to Take well, care of themselves. And right, if you don't do those things to take care of yourself, then how can you take care of yes. your child if you yourself aren't healthy? It yeah. all comes back to, I, I remember one of uh, the psychologists I used to see on a, on a regular basis would always tell me, she would say, Jake, make sure you, let's say we're in a plane, the plane is crashing and the masks come down yep. from the ceiling you have to put your mask on first yes. before you help the person next to you. And it's so, so true. So I mm-hmm. always think of that analogy all the but time. But it's a good analogy. It's a so great one. We yeah. can't take care of others in our life. It until... sounds super silly or, it, you know, it may sound uh, stereotypical or whatever, but it's really true. When it you is. come and think mm-hmm. about it, it just it makes sense. You I know, agree. you put your os- oxygen mask on mm-hmm. first before putting another one's on. So, yeah. um, so I mean, Matea's Joy, in a nutshell, you're providing support for families that are going through the same journey that you and your husband went through. Yeah. And we started at Comer because that was our home base. We sort of knew it. And we do a lot of work for Ronald McDonald House Charities of Chicagoland, Northwest Indiana. We've expanded our work to include Lurie Children's Hospital, Prentice Women's Hospital, La Rubita Children's Hospital, and now Carl. And we also help do some supports for our local hospitals, uh, um, Ascension St. Mary and Riverside Medical Center. It's important to us. We do some some local stuff, too. Yes. And it's anything from care packages to snack boxes. And really, we have a greater vision and part of how the podcast really even came to be. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about the podcast too. Yeah, we, so 2020, really, I can blame 2020 on some of the pivoting we did, as I think a lot of people can say that. You joined the crowd of, (sighs) it's a pandemic, I'm going to start a podcast. (laughs) Well, for ours, it had a really specific purpose. (laughs) Well, obviously. Oh, of course. I'm I'm definitely not putting you in that category because so many people (laughs) were just like, Oh, I've got all this time. I'm going to start a (laughs) podcast. And I actually have seen some of those people that started their podcast during the pandemic um, now are like, yeah, I'm not doing it anymore. It, it, I saw it was just a pandemic thing, and I'm I'm done with it. So gotcha. obviously, this is completely different. But well, I was just I was for, just teasing. <laughs> that's fine. I welcome the teasing. Um, we our greatest project that we really loved was serving dinner monthly and connecting with families, and we felt this really 
large disconnect of being able to hear people's stories and helping them to share it with other people and connecting individuals. So the podcast wasn't something to just draw people into Matea's Joy. It really is sort of an end product to those that we serve. And our goal is to bring on individuals that are sharing their stories, medical professionals that have expertise that are going to be helpful for someone sitting bedside with a kiddo at a hospital. What was some of the best advice that you ever received from a, a physician from a, or a pediatrician, you know, anyone? Yeah. Um, actually, one of our now current board members, she's a neonatologist at University of Chicago. Her name is Dr. Bree Andrews, and she runs the NICU follow-up clinic there. She actually just got a promotion, so she's going to move oh. to a different role. However, wow, congratulations. I um, got to know her in her work of serving Matea and I, and she was this beautiful example to me of every time I would see her in clinic, she would not only treat Matea, but she looked at me and tried through questions and interacting how to make life easier for our family. And she thought out of the box. Like it was everything from how can I find a pharmacy that will deliver to your house so you don't have to worry about getting her in the car and getting her. And we have partnered with her clinic as part of our work to give families things like strollers and formula that they can't get in their local area and things like that because she has a gift of looking beyond just what a family is presenting to her and saying, hey, well, let's dig a little deeper. Like, what do you really need to to allow you to manage this a little better? And I, that was such an example to me of how to treat people and how to show up for them and to listen with the intent of understanding where they are and what you can fill in the needs. Because they often won't ask for what they need and you have to help figure it out. I was thinking it, it, it sounds like she actually went above and beyond yes of what she was supposed to do yeah and she's you know a lovely human i'm grateful to call her a friend and but i she's not alone in the healthcare field but she definitely has a gift that she creates an example and if i think about broader vision for matea's joy it's bringing more systemic change of bringing more understanding to medical professionals of what the parent perspective looks like and having an ability to share that with them so that they can show up to a family with a little bit of a, an understanding. Um, some of my favorite guests on my show have actually been medical professionals that have since had a sick kiddo and how it's changed the way they practice. And that, so what's one of those stories, uh, the, <clears throat> like one of the episodes? Yeah, that you recently can... I had a, a NICU nurse um, on and she worked in the NICU for several years and it wasn't until her child was born and needed to be airlifted actually to Comer. And she changed the way that they do some things in her unit. She had she was an advocate for change. And she also just shared, you know, I noticed that moms were emotional in the NICU. And I just always thought, oh, they're just hormonal. Like they just had a baby. And she really had a deeper understanding. No, like they're grieving what they thought they're birthing experience would look like. They're having really real emotions. And she shows up differently for those families. She just says, it's not just me encouraging them for the day. It's giving them permission. Hey, that's okay to feel that way. And I've been there and I, I get what you're feeling. And it changed the way she cares for families. And I think if 
I'm trying to creatively over time, hopefully uh, I'll be able to report back to you over time of how I've been able to do this. But the goal is to, how can I help medical professionals have that understanding without having to have a sick kid? Because, you know, That's we don't want That's got to be hard to... for, right, the, the doctor that yeah. doesn't have kids or has never been through that yeah. experience with any family member of yeah. any kind, whether it was a, a daughter or their son or a cousin or, a, Correct. you know, whoever, um, I would think that has to be hard to yeah. put, put their, uh, you know, put their body in the other person's body for a moment and just feel yeah. what they're feeling. Empathy is something that it, I think it can be taught, but it is more natural when you've, you've actually felt what their shoes feel like. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. I wonder, I, I don't know. I'm sure every uh, medical school is different, but I do, I do wonder what they teach about empathy in yeah. medical schools. I'm curious. Me to too. Know. I'm, I'm at the starting end of this, the, this thought and project. So yeah, yeah, right. And I mean, I'm sure that's something you've probably asked on your mm-hmm. podcast, right? Have you asked any of the, the doctors or pediatricians or any uh, medical professionals on your podcast about, you know, what do they teach about empathy? No, but you just gave me a question. Jake. <laughs> okay, great. I'm glad. Yeah, let me let me know what you find out because, uh, like I said, obviously there's how many medical schools across yeah. the country or in the world. What are they? I'm sure each one is a little different, yeah. but it and everyone. I feel like as people, we forget that doctors are also people. Yes. So each one of them has a different personality. While some doctors may have what they call a wonderful bedside manner. Others just don't. Sure. You know, because of their per- the personality that yes. they have, you know, so. And I, I've come to appreciate the statement, the practice of medicine. Yes, um, that's something that I remind myself and yeah. remind other is, is, well, it's technically a practice, mm-hmm. which means they're practicing medicine, which doesn't mean it's Unfortunately, it's we would love to have things be 100 yeah. percent. It's almost right? never black and white. It's right. just a little muddled and they're figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And I've come to really genuinely have an appreciation for that. Yeah, yeah. because it's a science when mm-hmm. it comes down to it. And science changes over time, just like everything yeah. else changes over time. We don't want it to change, but that's that's how things go. We we everything's constantly changing. Yeah. So just in the time we've sat here, there's something different, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, in, in our bodies, for instance. You know, something has already changed and we may not know about it now, but we may figure it out later, you know. Yeah. Um, but and and I'm sorry, we didn't even is the podcast called Matea's Joy or what is it's not? The pod- it's called Joy in the Journey. Okay. And yeah, that's uh, we. I it's been a really lovely experience for me. I don't know if you feel the same way when you have on guests. Oh, it's, absolutely. The coolest part is just to meet so many incredible individuals. I knew some of my guests, but most of them I didn't, and. It's just a cool experience to be able to sit down and have a conversation with someone like you and I are today. And you share things that you don't always talk about day to day with individuals. So you get some really beautiful nuggets and what people what's important to them. Yeah. And um, there is this other lovely um, mom that I had on her son is blind and she's a medical professional, too. And it was cool. She's actually done some really lovely advocacy work on how to help people that are are blind and she it all started because one of her friends who had a, a child the same age as her son Mac 
said to her one day, can you teach us how to be a good friend to Mac? Mm -hmm. And she goes, this light bulb went off. She goes, what a lovely question. And you know, that conversation and having her on has changed the way that I even interact with individuals who have, you know, non-typical children in their life um, that we want to learn more about and how I interact with people. So it's been a really cool learning experience and change sort of who I am. So how should, uh, okay, let's talk about the people on the outside of these situations. Yeah. How, how can they, I guess... Once again, you did kind of touch on, uh, uh, touch on drop dropping judgment mm. on different people. But yeah. what what can people that aren't in these situations with their children? What can they do for people they know in their life? Yeah. I get that question going? a lot. I'm sure you mm-hmm. do, and it could because it's hard. Because once again, let's say I'm let's say I'm I don't have any kids. Don't have any kids. I've never experienced anything like that in my life. But let's say my best friend mm-hmm. is going through this. Or let's say even, let's say I am uh, married to someone who had children before we were together. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, they're going through that with their child, but maybe I just can't relate. I mean, yeah. what what are some, what do you tell those people, yeah. uh, the the people from the outside of these situations? Well, I will say that I don't know all the answers, but what I've learned over this time that I've found helpful and others have found helpful is most people won't ask for what they really need. So a lot of it is you just offering really specific things. And I or not not even offering. Right. Like just just doing them. And it may be things you may not think of, like go mow their grass. Bring them a gift card for dinner. Give them a gas card if you can financially give some assistance. Drop them a text. Send them a card. Give them a little treat now and again. You know their favorite candy bar. Like drop it off on their car as a surprise. It's the little things. It's if they have other kids and they're spending a lot of time managing a child that has some medical needs, offer to take the other kids for some fun. Um, I think siblings are the unsung heroes in a lot of family stories with sick kids because they're alongside it um, with their family. And they often just need to go have some fun and offer to take them for a day, Um, especially if the child who has the medical needs, maybe you're nervous about whether you could help actually care for that child, but you could help support the rest of the family. I think that's a, a big that's a, that's a big thing I think all of us should take away from this episode is just do it yeah. for someone. Yes. Don't because I, I find myself that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately when I have someone in my life that is going through a hard time. And you always ask that question. Well, what can is I there, do for you? Yeah, is yeah. there anything I can do for you? And and the answer is always, oh, nothing right now or just I can't think of anything. And I myself am guilty of the same thing. Someone will ask me, is there anything I can do for you? You know, and and like even my girlfriend, Lizzie, will ask me. Uh, you know, when I'm having a, a rough day or a rough week or, you know, she sees that I'm mm-hmm. struggling with a bunch of different stuff. She's like, what can I do to help? And I always say, I, you know, yeah. so w- we just we don't want to give in, give in to help, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it's it's hard to accept. It is help. So it's, that's why it's I just think a very natural thing to be resistant. Yeah. You feel like 
we definitely live in a society that's very do it all yourself, be self-reliant. Well, mm-hmm. there is an element of, okay, let down your garden and let people help you. I yes. mean, there's some beauty in it takes a village and it's okay to have somebody help you fold your laundry if that's what you need help with. <laughs> like if you have your, your dishes piled up or you can't even think about what you're doing for dinner, try to not be afraid to ask for it. But often that's vulnerable for people and mm-hmm. really... That's hard. So try to, especially if it's someone close to you, just try to show up in those ways that they may let you do it, but they may not let someone they don't know that well do it. And again, it doesn't, going back to what you were saying, it doesn't have to be something big. Yeah. I know a lot of us like to think, oh, I want to do something really, 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 really nice those for small them. small and simple things but, often have great impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's yeah. good to remember. I'm going to try to be more conscious <laughs> of that in these situations. So Matea's Joy what? Uh, where can people find Matea's Joy or even get involved, yeah. help support, um, you know, find uh, the podcast, all that stuff? What's the best way they can get in touch with you? Yeah, our website's a great hub for all of that. It's Matea'sJoy.org. And we have a Facebook and Instagram presence. You can find us, Matea's Joy. But the podcast is linked both on our website. It has its own page, but you can also find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. So Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Wonderful. whatever. I'm, I'm glad you're on all the, the major yeah, it's platforms. Great. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, as is this podcast. So we'll make sure to drop those links in the in the show notes for uh, for people that are interested. And then are there any upcoming I know the the superhero five K happened what last yeah we always it was do in that May, the right? first or, saturday in may yes and then we have a golf outing coming up around the corner okay. so on september 9th it's a friday we have a golf for joy with the play on words <laughs> f-o-r-e um and you can find info on that at golf for f-o-r-e joy.org and that's a great event it's a fun day Again, some great community support, and it's a gorgeous course. It's at the Kinky Country Club. So, oh yeah, then yeah. you can't go wrong with yeah. the. We have we're lucky. We have a lot of beautiful golf courses we here in, in Kankakee County, and yeah. that's obviously one of them. Yeah. So, um, anything else you want to touch on before we hang it up? No, I, no? I. It's been lovely to be a guest. Thank you for the invitation. Of course, and we didn't even talk about you know. Of course, this is a whole another thing. Is uh, you're also back on the Bourbon A. Um, a school board. The Bourbon A School District is a 53, right? Yeah. A 53 BESD school board. 53. Yeah. So. And I just, if you can't tell it, I do have a heart of service. So it's <laughs> yes. just a place I felt that my my time and talents would be useful. Well, thank yeah. you for your service in that too. So Thanks, I love it. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything you want to put out there about that real quick. It's up to oh, you. Oh, <laughs> no. I mean, we have a really great district who really mm-hmm. does strive to do what's best for kids. And I'm grateful to be a part of that. I have kids in the district, which is cool. Um, but really, I think in the role of a school board member, for me, I try to bring the hat of a community member. So yes, it's great that my kids are in the district and I do bring that mom perspective, but the choices we make as a board are to help what's best for each and every student in our district. And that's a variety of needs. We have a really um, beautiful group of children that are in our district and great, grateful I'm just, to serve there. I'm grateful for your service on the board because that is not an easy job. So, <laughs> Well, it our district makes it a little easier. I mean, we really do have some of just the most fabulous teachers and administrators, and it's a good district. Yeah. It is. I agree. Yeah. Well, Jamie, thank you so much again for your time. Oh, thanks, Jake. <laughs> You're welcome. 
Well, that concludes this episode of Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore. Thank you so much for listening. Please share this podcast with a family member, friend, or neighbor you think might enjoy learning new things about the people and places of Kankakee County. Also, a special thank you to our patrons for helping make this episode possible, including Jake Lee, Jesse Arsenal, Dave Barron, Daryl Damper, Samantha Rocknowski, Lake Iverson, Travis Garcia, Jane Bostwick, Karen Bishop, Dawn Harrison, Simon Topless, Scott Wright, Carrie O'Connell, Jamie Race, Joanne Barry, Anthony Vicelli, Eric Olson, Dan DeBoard, Jeff and Rosa Carroll, Teague Drenan, Sandy and Steve Twait, and Rose Lucky. To become a podcast patron, go to kankakeepodcast.com and then click on the Patron tab. If you pledge $5 or more per month, you'll also hear your name announced on an episode. There's also other rewards like early access to new episodes, extended versions of episodes, video versions of episodes, which is something brand new, podcast merch, discounts on special events, and so much more. Your monthly pledge is truly appreciated. Our goal right now is to reach $400 per month, and we're about 60%. Uh, of, of reaching that right now. So please sign up for the patron program today at kankakeepodcast.com. Our theme song is by Lupe Carroll. Talk to you next time. This river can-